Well, good morning, First Baptist. It's great to be back with you. It's been a few years. I haven't changed at all. When you lose your hair at 15, things don't change too much, except my mom, who just went to be with the Lord last summer, a couple, two or three years ago, she looked at me, she said, your hair's gray. Almost like, does that bother you? And I said to mom, I'm just glad anyone notices I still have hair. So anyway, it's good to, good to see you today. Good to be uh, here and uh, encouraging you in the Word of God. I want to thank you for some things before we get started in the Word. Um, we have always loved this church because the people that we know have been here historically or hysterically, however you remember them, like the Mayhews. Uh, I got to pastor Ray and Barb for a while in Grand Rapids. Uh, the Miller family, uh, all of us have stories about them. Uh, the Belts. Maitren and Ann send their greetings, by the way. They knew I was going to be here, and so they wanted me to be sure to give their greetings to you. The Turner family, the Carlsons, the Smiths now, the, the, uh, the Wallace family, good to see you. You haven't changed at all. That's a lie, but I want them to feel <laughs> encouraged. Uh, the Blahas, lots of Blahas around this area, and uh, the Aves, the Baileys, Brendan, thank you so much for your encouraging introduction, and it's just a great joy to be with you today. Uh, and by the way, he shared that hoping I would vote for his daughter's car in the Awana <laughs> design thing, but I'd already voted, so anyway, thank you. It's, it's always a joy to be here and to share. Thank you for your prayer uh, on behalf of the churches in Ukraine. Uh, the church I pastored in Grand Rapids for many years, we have a personal investment with one of the churches in southern Ukraine. If you look on the map, it's one of those spots where the cities have been bombed. Zaporozhye is the name of the town. Baborka is the name of the church. It was bulldozed uh, by the Soviets four different occasions during the Cold War, and our church had the opportunity once the Iron Curtain fell to go there and to help them rebuild a, a beautiful building. I had the joy of going with one of our teams when the, the building was dedicated, and uh, so we certainly pray with you and others who are remembering them in prayer during this time. I want to share with you for a couple moments before we get into the Word uh, about some things that excite me because you're involved in it. And uh, so you want to find your way to Luke chapter 12, that's where we're going to land in a few moments, but I want to give you a brief update regarding the ministry that you're very critically involved in, known as the Michigan Association of Regular Baptist Churches. I'll just call it M-A-R-B-C, uh, just for brevity's sake. Uh, our prayer cards are out on the tables uh, right behind where you're seated there, if you'd like to get one of those to pray for my wife Sharon and I as we continue our ministry of giving uh, encouragement and oversight. This is actually our last last full year serving with the MERBC. At the end of this year, December 31st, uh, we will be moving into a little slower pace. We're not really retiring, just doing a different type of ministry. A lot of what I'll be doing uh, will be similar to what I do now with the MERBC, but I'll be consulting with churches, uh, coaching pastors, uh, helping churches through ministry transitions with pastoral staff, but in a slower pace, and uh, we are excited about that. We're excited about what God is doing with the MERBC. About uh, 10 years ago, things started changing dramatically with my role in particular as the ministry director. Um, it's just the, the world has changed so much, as you, we all know. 
but especially in the ministry of the MERBC uh, because of technology, because um, there are micro-generations now. You just can't figure things out as, as uh, simply as we used to be able to do. And so a lot of my time was spent just coaching pastors and churches on all these different changes. And uh, about five years ago, as we started talking, I started talking with our leadership team about the transition that would happen sometime in the future. I didn't know when at that point, but I really felt like we needed to begin planning for what ministry would look like in our state association of about uh, 175 churches uh, officially connected with our association all over the state of Michigan, about 200 that partner with us in one way or another. What would ministry look like once I began to move in a different direction of ministry? And uh, what do we need now? And so one of the things I said with our leadership team five years ago was, you're going to have to help me because I'm a multitasker. I frankly do that fairly well. God's gifted me that way. But I need to have some boundaries in terms of what I need to focus on most significantly because there's just so many needs. And uh, as I began to share with our board what our daily lives are like in terms of ministry, they began to realize it's kind of an aha moment for our ministry. You know, no one person can do this. And so because strategically I'm beginning to shift away from this ministry, uh, we began working on a model, a paradigm that uh, will be officially launched January 1st of this coming year, as the Lord allows, and that will be uh, a new director who will be at the beginning, at least this first year, part-time, and uh, we are going to have four pastors who will be on a stipend that will specifically focus on four areas of ministry that are key needs for us in our state that I helped our group identify, and they will specifically look at those areas. Rather than having one person trying to do it all, we're really kind of spreading the, the, uh, the wealth out in that regard as well as the investment. So what we're doing right now, my successor, who is Doug Crawford, who currently has served for many years as the uh, lead pastor at West Cannon Baptist Church uh, just northeast of Grand Rapids, uh, he will be uh, assuming a part-time role in his church. Right now, he's full-time through the end of the year. I'm full-time, boots on the ground doing this. He's actually training right now his successor there in the church who will become the preaching pastor on January 1st, 2023. And so we've been coordinating together, uh, working on this plan strategically. And if you go to our website, merbc.net, M-E-R-B-C uh, we've been posting videos just explaining this process. Uh, we have all the uh, videos of our conference sessions from October, our annual conference, where we laid all of this out very specifically to our association of churches. I just share all this because you are a very integral part of us, and you've helped us in many ways. And I just want to share one thing before we dive into the Word about First Baptist of Allegan's involvement in the past two years. You may not remember this, or maybe you do, that uh, a couple of Thanksgivings ago, uh, I forget what you call your offering for Thanksgiving. This is a quiz, and you need to answer it since you led us in worship. You, what's your first name? Ken. Your name is Ken? Yeah. I won't pick on you then. Ken, <laughs> what's the name of the offering you do at Thanksgiving? Well, that's a very cre a creative title. I thought it was going to be something really, I could have said that. Our year-end Thanksgiving offering, okay? I should make fun of it because we really appreciate what you did. Uh, for a few years, Pastor Nathan's been emailing me saying, would you like to give a proposal to the committee? And I would ask who's on that committee because you actually voted down 
some of our options before, but you, you came through for us a couple of years ago as I was involved in the middle of COVID with a church in North Adams, Michigan, down in Hillsdale County. Um, that church was a struggling church, had been for years. That area of the state is, is one of the challenged areas economically, and uh, there's a lot of people moving away from the area. And I had been encouraging the pastor who had been there, as well as uh, leadership who had called me several times just to say, how can we encourage our pastor? You always like that when you, instead of how can we get rid of this guy, how can we encourage him? So I've been working with them, and in the middle of July, back uh, two years ago, which would be what, 2020, right? Math's pretty good. Uh, I got a call from the deacon chair, who happens to be a farmer, uh, and a great guy, and he said, Ken, I just need to let you know our pastor just announced his resignation. And he said, so that's one of the reasons I'm calling you, but I just want you to know this. And this is a church that had declined down into between 30 and 40, and it was hard to tell because of COVID, you know, really where they were at. But he said, um, our people got together after the service, and they were just meeting on Sunday mornings at that point, and just actually started meeting again, regathering during COVID. He said, um, the first thing they said was, we need to reach out to Ken Floyd and, and have him help us in our pastoral search. And I said, I'd be glad to do that. But he said, here's the, here's the interesting thing. As we met together, our people said, we, we really need to meet for prayer. And so he said, we haven't been meeting on Wednesdays for a long time, but we met Ken, and this is a Thursday he called me. He said, as we met, we recognize a more important need than us calling a new pastor is we grieve the fact that we're not connected with our little village, which is about 1,100 people. We have not really been engaged with the people that God has called us to reach for several years. Can you help us, and will you help us? And I said, well, let me pray about it for a week, and then I'll get back to you. I didn't really say that. I said, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And uh, what they didn't know was I had been going through a couple consultation programs and actually had just been certified in revitalization ministry. And so I said, if you don't mind, I'm going to be hands-on with you through this because obviously with COVID, I had some of my speaking schedule canceled. And so we went down and uh, started interacting with them. They put together a revitalization task force. And as I met with them, I, I just, I was amazed because literally, this is no exaggeration, their building is the best facility in that little village. It, it is amazing. They are, uh, they're, the, the auditorium is a little older, probably built back in the late 60s. So there's some stairs there, but they have this beautiful, not as big as this uh, multi-purpose building, but they have a beautiful multi-purpose building. So, you know, my, my wheels start turning in my head. And I'm thinking, oh, we can help them because one of the things that you can do during COVID is open up your multi-purpose building as a hotspot for Wi-Fi for children to come in as they're trying to get their education continuing during the time that schools are shut down. So I mentioned that to the revitalization task force thinking, you know, I'm the expert because I drove there for more than 50 miles, right? That's what makes you an expert. And um, one guy who had been the other guy kind of connecting with me, a younger guy who's a CPA guy, uh, he looked at me and he said, Ken, we don't have Wi-Fi. We don't even have internet at all here. Uh, and I thought, well, that's not surprising. I said, well, but what do you mean you don't have internet? Well, I, I said, you know, normally if you're not in a town, they usually have like Spectrum or something, uh, which used to be Frontier or whatever group was with them. And uh, he said, yeah, we do. 
but he said, I'm a CPA guy. He said, I have to wait till I go into the city of Hillsdale to my office to do anything. My wife is the librarian at Hillsdale College, and anything we do for ourselves, for our business, or for our church, we do when we're there because when we come back to North Adams, it's like, frankly, being, it's worse than being you know, over in India in places because there's Wi-Fi spots all over the place there. So I thought, well, that seems to kill that deal. And it was at that time that I had written this proposal to you about here's what we'd like to help them with. We'd like to get them Wi-Fi access so they can start having an evangelistic outreach to their community. We want to help them get a very good, sophisticated website so they can live stream and all these things. And then it's like, I am toast because I've, I've uh, misrepresented what this church can do to First Baptist in Allegan. And once uh, Pastor Smith finds out, he's going, to, he's going to call a special meeting of the MERBC to defrock me. And uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. So during Christmas time, during, and the, uh, the check had already been sent. So during Christmas time, I'm just praying. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to get on the internet and find out what else is out there. And amazingly, this is no lie. The first thing that comes up when I do my, my search engine is this statement, Comcast coming to North Adams, Michigan. And I thought, oh, come on. <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. And I'm sitting with a, a computer in an office that's generated by Comcast because we live in Grand Rapids. We got the high-speed internet and all that. And I think they're just, they're just following me wherever I go and, you know, all that stuff. And so I finally, I kept looking and it kept coming up and I thought, this is really weird. So I actually called the toll-free number and about an hour later, someone answered. So I just have them on speakerphone while I'm working. And I said, yes, I am interested. Are you having, are you installing uh, internet, Wi-Fi in uh, all of Hillsdale County now? And they said, no, but we are going to install it in North Adams. And my thought that I did not say to them is, why? <laughs> why? But then I thought, I know the answer, God, God. And so they did. And so your investment from that offering allowed us to get not only internet uh, into the building, but we, uh, because of obviously steel structure and everything, we had to have all the little hot spot things set up so that it could be consistent through the building. Uh, someone we know we hired to get the, the, the website started actually before I found out they couldn't do Wi-Fi. So this is money going out, and I'm praying, God, we want to have the website actually being useful there. And so they're streaming. They've got a website. And in the midst of all of this, then we'll start praying not only about revitalization, but a pastor. And uh, so it's really interesting, two little burgs down in southern Michigan, uh, the other church, smaller than First Baptist of North Adams, I've been working with, those two churches called pastors during COVID. I had something to do with the one that went to North Adams, the other guy, the one guy's from Florida. Had to have COVID brain to think I want to move from Florida to North Adams, Michigan. But listen to this. This is a couple. They've been involved in church planning and revitalization. They were praying about moving north somewhere to start doing that in the northern part of the country. And they had five other churches interviewing them. And I can tell you this, North Adams was the worst of the five. Did not have much to offer. But as I talked with them, as they talked with the leadership, as they came up the first time to just kind of survey the place, they went back down. 
My mom, it was my, actually the day of my, just before my mom went to be at the Lord, the, the deacon calls me, the CPA guy, and he says, Ken, pray because this pastor just called and said, we want you to know we're praying about which of the churches uh, we, we are going to go with, and we've set this weekend aside to pray. Mom goes to be with the Lord late that night. I get a phone call from this guy, and I'm thinking, oh, he's probably heard about my mom, wanting to pray, and he says, Ken, I just want you to know we heard from the pastor. They're coming here. Isn't that great? It's just so neat. And I tell you what, they have just, they have gotten there, and they are boots on the ground running, and that ministry is going hard. I always say with revitalization, the first thing you need to do is you really need to start a prayer focus as a church, and then we were encouraging them to go out in the community and do prayer walks, just going around praying. We used to do that in Grand Rapids, and they started doing that the night after I had been there to share with them, and now the pastor and his wife are, are leading that charge, and they've had so many connects. By the way, the other church, some kid from Alabama comes up. I don't even know how he found out about the church. He's 23, and he is a ball of fire, so this southern guy is preaching down in South Litchfield today, and uh, doing great. It's just an amazing thing. You had a part in that. And so I want to thank you. We want to thank you as a group of churches. And I, I couldn't be here today without sharing that with you. So let's do a little bit of a mind shift here. Let's get to this text in Luke. I know uh, Pastor shared with me where he's at in his preaching and where you're going uh, when he gets back next Sunday. Um, I thought about a, a couple of different things, but knowing the time framework and knowing I wanted to share this, I decided I wanted to go and just spend some time with you in a very simple parable today of the Lord. Because in many ways, this parable has captured my heart, and as we continue our last full year of ministry at the MARBC, looking at the landscape of churches, not only in our state, but in America today, I'm, I'm grieved. I, I trust that you are as well. As you look at all the things that we have allowed as a church in North America to distract our attentions away from what truly matters. We are, I mean, we've been, we as, as uh, even conservative churches have been guilty of our turf wars and our battles over this or that. And now we've allowed the political spectrum to just permeate our attention in ways that are at times so unseemly and ungodly. I mean, Facebook is just a minefield of, of horrific messes a lot of times for believers because we just allow ourselves to get caught up in, the, in things that, yeah, they're important, and yes, I'm glad I'm American, and I'm praying for my UK, Ukrainian brothers and sisters and their context and been in other countries as well, but our identity is in Christ. The old, the old gospel song used to go, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through, right? And so even as I take I think the correct kind of pride in being an American, I have to be really careful that even in that sense of, of uh, heritage and pride for my country, that I'm not allowing that to somehow skew my greatest privilege and greatest calling, and that is to be a representative of Jesus Christ as His ambassador because He saved me by His grace and has called me and called us to be light in the midst of, of darkness. So, you come to this passage, and you know, for a while Jesus was um, sharing uh, with His, his uh, followers, His disciples, who some of them would later become the apostles, those who would help establish the church when it's birthed in Acts chapter 2. 
as we come to this text, Jesus has allowed the lid to be pulled off. In other words, now, okay, guys, it's time. You can tell people who I am, why I'm here. And so as we come to this text, it's important for us to realize this. So Jesus has ramped up how he is not only communicating who he is, but also pointing out the challenges of the culture and the day in which they are living. And so uh, to pick up the context before this, uh, before this parable, just look with me quickly in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 54. And so the he at the beginning of this sentence is talking about Jesus. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 54. Jesus also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud arising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. It sounds like West Michigan, doesn't it? I mean, we, we pay attention to weather forecasts all the time. And, uh, you know, when it comes from the west, we're usually talking about lake effect. And it's kind of the same way there in Palestine. And so they're really good at being able to predict those times of things, types of things. But Jesus says, verse 56, you hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And we can't go into detail with his comments here except to say this. He says to them, you know all about the things that anyone could know about. I mean, it's just everyone talks about the weather. But don't you know that standing right here before you, talking with you now, don't you understand and interpret the times I am the Messiah. The, the, the basic overview of this text is Jesus is presenting himself to the children of Israel as their Messiah. This is their opportunity that they've been praying for and waiting for for millennia of time. They're waiting for the Messiah, and here he is standing right in front of them, and they don't even recognize it at the end of their big Jewish noses. How ridiculous. The specific context here is to Israel. But as I think about it for us, you know, we're getting caught up in all these dialogues and arguments and all these things that are, are at times so, so ungodly. When church, we need to recognize the times, not just talk about weather, but recognize that God is giving us a great opportunity as the church to interact with people who have no hope. One of the men standing here with Jesus as a disciple is a guy named Simon who Jesus renames Peter. And Peter would write later in one of his letters, you know, you need to be living your life out in such a way that when people look at you and you're dealing with the same issues that they are, like COVID and political, political agreements and, and conflict in our country and conflicts all over the world, and, and you walk through and you're burdened, you're concerned, but... You take time as you gather together as believers to pray for Ukraine. You take time during the week to give hope to people who are scared to death of COVID. And they look at you and they realize you could be next, and they say, I don't understand it. Why can you have peace during this time? And Peter says, 1 Peter 3.15, you need to be ready then to give them an answer for the reason that you have hope in the midst of conflict, hope 
in the midst of challenges. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here. So then he goes on to this statement just to kind of bring home the point, verse 57. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out of it out until you have paid the very last penny. One scenario uh, uh, he gives is this one. You know, Everyone's heading to the judge. Everyone's heading to judgment. He gives a practical illustration of their day, but his bigger point is this. Do you realize everyone in this world is already walking towards judgment? Everyone. Uh, If you don't know Christ, you are a dead man or a dead woman walking. Your sentence has already been passed. It's just a matter of you getting to the final magistrate. And Jesus' illustration is this. Why would you wait until your life is over and you face the final judge. Get your accounts straight now. If you're guilty, confess it. And you know what? The Bible tells us he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not just pointed to us, but that's our message. We're to go out and tell people. You don't have to live in this hopeless quagmire of everything that's going on in culture. These are the greatest days for us to be sharing the gospel because there's no other remedy. There's no other hope. And Jesus says, here I am. I'm the Messiah. This should be exciting you. Instead, you're criticizing. You're pointing fingers at me. Some of you are back in the corners trying to figure out how to get rid of me, even if it means my execution, which is obviously going to happen. You need to realize you're, you're, you're on the way to the judge. So you need to talk to lower courts first. You need to realize that right now you, you're going to be living as I give my redemptive, uh, my redemptive plan unfolds at Calvary. You're going to be given the opportunity for grace. And you need to realize that. Second illustration is chapter 13. And it's, why do people die the way they die? Which is an interesting question. There were some present, verse 1, at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them and said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than you? But unless you repent, you all likewise perish. Or what about those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish." Why is it we get caught up? And I, again, I understand the human drama of this. And we lost eight different family members in the second half of 2021. Some somewhat anticipated, like my mother, a nephew, my sister's oldest son, after a road rage incident. He died a week before my mom. And my sister's not a believer. And she was the one who found him dead in his home. Tough times. You re- have you read obituaries recently? I do just because I want to make sure I'm not in there. Uh, but have you read an obituary recently? There, the first few sentences are so unique at times. So and so died peacefully. Did they? We don't know. We can have some confidence if they know Jesus Christ as their Savior, yes, you can die in peace. But why is it we get so caught up in the way people die? The issue is. We're passing people in our culture that are dead men and dead women, dead children walking. And they're going to die. And now is the accepted time. Today is the day of their salvation. And we need 
to take that seriously. So Jesus says, yeah, it's terrible. I, he's hearing this talk on the street. Some people asking him, what's your opinion on Pilate mingling the blood with the sacrifices? Well, what do you think his answer would be? That's, that's horrible. But that's not the point. What do you think about the people that died in the, the, when the tower collapsed? You know, our twin towers. Did that mean those people who went to work in New York City were more ungodly than you? No. But the point is this. We never know what day it's going to be. And so right now is the acceptable time. And then he tries to drive this home with this parable. So we finally got there. Verse 5 of chapter 13. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, now for three years I've been coming here seeking fruit out of this fig tree, and I have found none. So cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? The caretaker, that's the he in this uh, next statement, answered him, sir, let alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if it does not, you can cut it down. Now quickly, a parable, and I, I heard this from Warren Wearsby, actually, I think it was when he was speaking at our church in Grand Rapids one time, and he was starting to share, now here's how you understand a parable. And so I thought, oh wow, and so I started writing it down, and I've kept it from this point forward. Um, it's easier to, to mimic Wearsby when you have a cold, you know? So, so, so this is what he said. A parable means taking something and laying it alongside of something else for a comparison. And Wearsby said, here's, here's what I believe God's design for a parable is. This is why Jesus used them. You look at the parable, and as you gaze into it like a picture... You, you, you start to see the point of the story or the illustration, okay? The more you gaze into the parable, secondly, you begin to see yourself in the story. Who are you in the story? What, who, what character would you most relate to in the story? Then, as you continue to gaze, you begin to see God. What's God's perspective or what's God's part in this story? And then finally, you see how God sees you. And that's the main point that Jesus is trying to drive home. So just think of that for a little bit as we look at this text. Because it's not just Jesus talking to those people who were gathered there. And yes, again, he's talking specifically to the children of Israel. Are you going to truly recognize for who I am, the Messiah? But remember, I do believe there's an application to the church because gathered with them are the disciples, 11 of whom, of the 12 that we know as the 12, 11 of whom are going to help establish the church when it's birthed in Acts chapter 2. And I think it's as much for their impact moving on when Christ ascends into heaven as it is even for the children of Israel, because here is a very key principle that I want us to embrace as an association of churches as we go through hard times like this. First of all, three years there's been no th fruit. That's the dilemma in this vineyard. 
Now, vineyards uh, were commonplace in, uh, in that area of the world, just like they are on the west coast of Michigan. And um, vineyards take up, vine, vines take up a lot of space, but you know, when you begin to string them out and hold them up, there's some land still available. So a wise investor, a, a wise person who uh, buys a property and has people plant a vineyard will try to find other uses of the land that's still available. And one of the easy things for them was to plant fig trees. And so this guy, obviously, for whatever reason, and I'm assuming he probably had more than one fig tree in the vineyard. Wouldn't you assume so? But for some reason, he keeps coming back to this one tree. Maybe it's just because he's a wise investor and he's wanting to see what this tree is going to produce. And it's three years in a row, there's no fruit. And he's upset. He's agitated because the only reason you planted the tree was not to bring beauty, not to bring shade, but to produce figs. And it's not producing. So that's the dilemma. That's the crisis in this story. It's taking up valuable space that, that the plant had been put there for a specific reason. And it's wasting that space. So the owner responds in the way that an owner, an overseer, should. He's not going to lower expectations. Say, well, this is a, a, a nice-looking tree. Maybe we can cut it up for wood someday. He doesn't uh, ignore the problem and say, well, I'm just going to go to another fig tree. I'm not even going to go buy that, that line there, and I'll just get upset again. And he doesn't allow the caretaker to give him a bunch of excuses. His verdict, say it with me, cut it down. Now notice the response of the vineyard keeper. Please give me one more year. One more year. And here's what I'm going to do. Why he didn't do this before, I don't know. Maybe it's just because he realized, you know what, this isn't my vineyard. These aren't my grapes and these aren't my fig trees. And he just had to be reminded of that by the one who owns the vineyard. You looking in the mirror yet? Hearing the intent of this parable? Give me one more year, and here's what I'm going to do. Listen to this, church. This is exactly how churches continue to grow and flourish. Here's what I'm going to do. Give me one more year, verse 8. I will dig around the roots is basically what he's saying. Allow those roots to get new soil that's not compacted right around the roots and <coughs> choking off any sense of growth or opportunity for nourishment. And instead, there will be a nice aerated soil with 21st century, nice word, fertilizer <laughs> around it. As our daughter used to say it when she had troubles pronouncing M's when she was young, they're going to put penure around the roots. <laughs> He's going to fertilize it. And if after a year there's no fruit, there's no results, then you can cut it down. Well, it's nice of this caretaker to give the owner permission after a year to cut it down if he wants. But here's the point. Cosmetic change will never help promote strong spiritual growth. So here's what I might do if I didn't know anything about agriculture. 
fig tree after three years is a producing fruit. I don't know anything about fig trees, but I know some things about apple trees. So, you know, I go to Meyer and I buy a bag of apples, and the tree's not producing, so I find the best duct tape, because duct tape solves anything, and I just tape apples to the tree, so that when people pass by, they're like, what a wonderful apple tree Ken has. And they might think that if they don't get too close, and they just look at it from the roadside, but after about two or three days, those apples are going to just rot. And that's what happens in our lives personally, and corporately when we're allowing artificial things to try to gloss over or replace what true spiritual growth is all about. And one of the things I'm burdened about in my life, for my family, for our churches, and for the church worldwide is this. Quit trying to, in some way, artificially produce what only God can produce through the spiritual nourishment of his spirit as he, in the roots of our lives. I think, isn't there a verse, Kent, that says we're to be rooted and grounded in the truth? I'm sorry I'm picking on you, but it's been a while since we've seen each other. Normally, it's Kent who's picking on me, so this is my opportunity. You can do counterpoint later on if you want, but, uh, but isn't that the truth? And instead, we think, what program can I find? What book can I read? What person or guru can I find? And I'm not saying that those things are all evil. They are supportive things. They are secondary and third-tier third type things. But daily, we must be in the Word of God, being nourished, our roots being cultivated, so that as we drink up into our bodies, our spiritual beings, the principles, the truths, the nourishment, the nutrients, the vitamins, the minerals that we've soaked in from God through His Word and through the cultivation that can only happen through the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are alive. And it makes a difference in our own lives. It makes a difference in our churches. And begins to truly make an impact in our communities. God put you here, First Baptist, for a reason years and years ago. And His purposes have not changed. The question for you as an individual, the question for you as a body of believers, is how's your root system? Are you soaking it in? Is it evident by the fact that you're not just developing branches, but those branches are bearing fruit? You notice how many times Jesus uses that as an illustration? My joy, my goal is that you bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit for my honor and glory. And you can't get that by driving down the street to your local grocery store and buying it off the shelf there. If it's going to be something that will be spiritually and eternally impacting, it must come through the nourishment of the Word of God. I'm so glad the Word of God isn't a bunch of manure just read Psalm 119 if you're not convinced that. It's like honey in the honeycomb. It's sweet. It's powerful. It's sharp. And that's what God desires for our lives. But it is really evident because we, we are connected to the vine dresser. Connected to the vine. Connected to the one who oversees the whole process.
Did you notice there's a word that pops up a couple times in what Jesus comments here, and with this we close? It's the word repent. He says, you need to have a change of heart and mind and perspective. That's the key issue. It's not that you're the most unglamorous tree in the vineyard. It's not that there isn't hope for you because actually there still is some evidence of life. But you need to understand that you're close to flatlining and you need to have roots that are reinvigorated, able to soak in the nourishment. We can harden our hearts. We know that as we see in Scripture. And actually, to the churches of Asia Minor, Jesus talks about that, especially with the church in Ephesus. They, they, they forsook their, first, their priority love, and they needed to repent. And I think there are a lot of believers and a lot of churches that that's their key need now. Now, we're going to close but I just want you to notice one thing. Verse 9, if, he should, if it should bear fruit next well, good, well and good, but if it is not, you can cut it down. And then it goes to verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And it's like, well, wait a minute, Jesus, so what happened there? Did the tree produce fruit? Or next year did they cut it down? Well, that's the point of the story. Because every one of us will determine in our own lives how that story ends. And so, for my wife, she's in trauma right now because she loves shows and movies that end up with a nice little bow on the end of it. Oh, they lived happily ever after. We don't know. But you will by how you respond to the word of the Lord, which has been declared to you and to me this day. And so, Father, we pray as we close our time in your word this morning that we will take seriously, Lord, what you very specifically shared as the spiritual crisis that so many people and so many groups of believers, for them, it was the children of Israel gathering in synagogues. For us, it's the the Christ-like ones, the Christians who gather in services around the globe today as the church of Jesus Christ. As we look into the mirror of your word, may we peer deeply until we see ourselves, until we see Jesus, and until we see how you see us. And then, Father, may we make the appropriate response and application that will result in our fruit bearing and your glory, we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.